Welcome to the Tutor Podcast, the only weekly show for anyone who is in the business of helping people. If you're a tutor, a teacher, or a coach, the Tutor Podcast will help you start, grow, and love your tutoring business in plain English without the buzzwords and BS. If you want to make more money and make more of a difference, the Tutor Podcast will be with you every step of the way. Hi, it's Neil Camero here with episode 21 of the Tutor Podcast. All you need to start, grow and love your tutoring business. Now today, we're going to be talking about time and in particular, the value of time in your business. As Ray Cummings wrote in his 1922 science fiction novel, The Girl and the Golden Atom, time, he said, is what keeps everything from happening at once. Now, I'm not getting all highfalutin about what time is or time isn't. I think maybe that's something I could cover in my blog. But my focus here is the time you spend in your teaching or coaching business. How to value it, how to use it, and especially how to sell it. The fact is, you'll never have enough time to do everything you want. So it's vital to do only the things that have the highest value to you and to make your time count. As teachers, we tend to focus on being good teachers because that's what we do. But that means we can often be blindsided to how we're using our time. For teachers, one of the biggest issues is that we tend to be paid for our time. That's private tuition coaching is personal, it's intensive. It's too often one-to-one. That's great because it means we can be very effective and personalise our methods. But what it means is we can't really scale that up. So we're going to end up continually trading time for money. It's a transaction we've got to repeat over and over again. Of course, that's wonderful. While it's ongoing, we're going to generate cash flow. But there's no residual income. When we stop working, we stop being paid. Now, obviously, you're going to run up against ongoing time constraints. The most obvious one is how many hours can you actually work per day? Which days can you work on? And when in those days can you actually work? There are limits. So many hours in a day. At some point you've got to sleep. You've got to take care of everything else that's important in your life. Now, The downside of that ongoing repetitive transactional basis is that you're tied to the business. Remember, that's okay now, but what about 10 years down the line? What if you're ill or injured? What if you decide to retire or your life changes direction or your circumstances shift? What then? You always want to have in the back of your mind the exit strategy for any business that you're in, whether it's teaching, retail, some professional service, whatever it is, have your exit strategy in mind. If you don't yet have an exit strategy, it would be a really good time to think about it. How are you getting out of this business and what you want to get out of this business with? Because that's one of the downsides of being in such a time intensive and repetitive transactional business is you spend too much time working in the business and very little time working on the business itself. And teachers seem to be awful at managing our time. 
we get very focused on generating immediate cash flow, which is great because that's teaching. That's what we do. That we'll also tend to be very focused on finding more students. Now, we'll even sometimes take on those who fail the tosser test. Do you remember a golden rule, DDWT, from one of the earliest episodes? If you don't, look it up. Implement it. As teachers, if we're mobile especially, we'll spend a lot of time just dashing around willy-nilly. We don't tend to batch our tasks up, and we certainly don't exploit our dead time between lessons. Now, whether that's a no-show or a cancellation, or whether we're having one of our many, many breaks, and especially remember you're going to need extra breaks if you've broken the DDWT rule, which is don't deal with tossers, too many breaks eat away your hourly rate because you have to factor them in. We spend a lot of time unfocused. We might spend too much time on social media, surfing the internet, watching YouTube clips, etc. There are a lot of distractions. We have to focus to optimise our usage of time. We'll often spend time chatting before and after lessons with students. Now, for me, this is a real driver for getting lessons stacked up one after another, back to back, like a production line. The lessons start for me at the top of the hour, they finish at the bottom of the hour or the top of the hour. So if I'm doing a half hour slot, I start on the dot, I finish on the dot. I don't want my students hanging around talking complete crap about what was on the television, who won the football, whatever. I want to minimise the chit-chat and focus on productive work with those guys. If I want to socialise with them, we might meet for a cup of coffee. But that's at my discretion. It's not something I feel I have to implement. It doesn't make me impersonal. It makes me a professional. Something we're really not good at as teachers is dynamically managing our teaching schedules. As I just said, I like to back things up absolutely Back-to-back, chock-a-block. I like to be booked solid for six, seven, eight hours on end. If I can compile and compress my teaching time down, I'm not having to endure voids, which obviously erode my hourly rate. So when I'm teaching, I teach and I teach flat out. I don't half arse it. Honestly, that's not the best use of my time. A decision I made a long time ago was a recognition that travelling between students and certainly between students over geographically separate areas was a really poor use of my time. So I stopped doing it. I thought I'd lose a lot of students that way. It turns out they were all quite happy to come to me in the end. And I didn't lose any students. All that time I'd spent in the car that I wasn't getting paid for. As well as the cost of running the car. As well as the fuel and my own loss of focus went out the window. When I started to teach back to back at my location, things got a lot better for me. It also meant that I wasn't spending a lot of time setting things up taking things down at the end of a session and he got me away from the short-term mindset of got to get to the next the next teaching appointment get to the next one get to the next one it actually allowed me to sit back and 
plan for the long term. And most teachers don't seem to do anything like this. Most of the teachers that I know, people who are in the tutoring game, tend to take a lot of breaks. They tell me they feel burned out. Now, maybe it's just me, but when I'm teaching, I'm absolutely on fire. I have so much energy, so much creativity and passion for what I'm doing. I'm not getting burned out. I get resentful of the breaks. I have a jug of water or squash in my teacher room and I'll just sip from that throughout my working day. I also don't like to take a lot of holidays. Again, this could just be me, but I love teaching so much that I could be anywhere in the world and still have a pang, a drive, a a tug at my heart that wants to take me back to the teaching room to get my hands on a guitar and help someone else discover their inner creativity, their passion for music and the joy of playing guitar. And it's the same when I'm mentoring or coaching people. The passion is there. So I don't really do a lot of holidays. I spend my time doing things that's productive for me. As I mentioned already, I don't spread my clients out over the whole day. I typically don't work before 1.30pm. That means that I've got morning times to do longer term strategic things. I don't travel anymore. So I've gotten away from that waste of time. And I passionately and vigorously optimise my teaching schedules. That means that at the start of the week, I'll look ahead, look at the gaps that I have, make a couple of phone calls or send text messages and just move students if I can to close up that half an hour gap that's vacant or that hour so that that gives me more time when I'm not just sitting between lessons, when I can do more important longer term things. So I've dynamically managed all of the voids and I also manage cancellations. Now, when you're in business for yourself, you'll often have your focus on saving money. That means we can spend too much of our own time doing tasks that are of low value to us. So I want you to take 10 minutes and just think about what you do. What is it within your teaching business that you could outsource at a cost which is lower than your teaching rate and get someone else to do. This might be as simple as taking care of the book work, keeping the accounts. It might be a cleaning issue. Anything you can do to outsource. For instance, if you have to design a graphic or a logo for your business, get an outsourcer to do it on Fiverr.com or people per hour. Rather than spend time learning how to do the software, coming up with the ideas and then gluing the whole thing together. On a personal level, I'm currently looking for a batch cook who can come in once or twice a week and cook for me. That's not proved to be easy so far, but I'm still looking. I figure that I like cooking. I could probably spend nine to ten hours a week just cooking. Loving every minute of it. But I could get someone who could come in and prepare food of a higher quality for a few hours a week and freeze batches of the stuff. 
I could get them to do that pretty reasonably and that would leave me free to do more productive, long-term things in my time. There's a question I want to ask yourself here. It's this one. Am I the only person who can do this? Now, if the answer is no, the next question is, who can I get to do this instead of me for less than my teaching rate? So you might charge £30 per hour as a teacher, which is pretty cheap. But you might only pay your cleaner £10 an hour. Now, for a cleaner, that's not bad. That means you're making a margin of £20 per hour because the hour that the cleaner is doing is freeing you to do another hour of teaching. And that goes across everything. So find a cleaner, a batch cook, a bookkeeper, an accountant. Even a driver could be a good investment. And let's move on now to the long-term things that teachers don't seem to have much of a handle on at all. And again, we're focusing ourselves on being teachers, but it's also important to remember that we're business people too. We have to think long-term about a few things. Particularly, I want you to think about investing in long-term, high-value strategies and activities. Most of all, think about acquiring or taking control of residual or passive incomes. Ask yourself every week to find 20 more ways to make money. Do this on a Sunday night. I always do a planning session on Sunday night. I keep a list of possible projects. Some of the projects I'll get around to doing, some of them I won't, but I always capture the ideas. If one of the ideas is saleable, you might even be able to sell the idea. This is intellectual property. How much do you want to create? So sit down and think about what you can do long term. Investments. If you're a good teacher, you'll be making a good, strong living. And you should have surplus cash around to invest. So find out where your money can go, where it'll be secure tax efficient and where it has growth prospects in the uk that means isas individual saving accounts and these are tax-free vehicles wrappers if you like in which you can put cash stocks and shares securities and the like very efficient vehicles for investment over the long term the thing that most of us are completely blind to is pensions pensions are Excellent ways to invest your money because you get tax relief on your contributions and you can get tax-free growth on the investment themselves. If you have put your business into a limited company environment, you might want to think about taking out a SAS pension in which contributions to the pensions are a business expense, which can lower your tax burden. It's a very effective way of growing an investment pot for yourself. So think about assets that can provide cash flow now. That's anything, anything at all that will spurt money out, month in, month out. Think of them as a cash cow. 
And when you're thinking about those, think about assets that also have potential capital growth. This is often long-term lumpy cash. So things like cryptocurrencies, which in my opinion are highly speculative, but a lot of people are into Bitcoin, Ethereum and the like. Not really my bag of chips, too risky for me at the moment. I don't know enough about them. Not yet convinced that they're a great idea. The underlying technology, blockchain, that might be something else again. That's on the research list. But cryptocurrencies, stocks and shares, index funds, tracker funds, they have potential long-term capital growth. Best of all, the assets that I like are the ones that do both. Personally, I love property. I own a number of investment properties because they provide immediate cash flow now, which I reinvest and buy more properties with, and they have potential capital growth. Again, buying throughout the whole property cycle, things average out, inflation takes its toll over time, pays down the debts for me, and of course rents will go up. So long-term, I think properties are very good long-term vehicle for investment and wealth. It took a little time to become educated in that and to understand what I was doing, the nature of that business and that investment. I found a niche that works for me. I'm quite happily vested in that. Had I not taken time off from teaching, I wouldn't have developed that secondary income stream. Other things that are easy to implement for us are developing intellectual properties. If you're a teacher, what can you produce or develop that you can sell or license? I'm a guitar teacher. It's easy for me to write music. I get paid royalties for songwriting. Now, it's not very much, but it's essentially money for nothing. Once you've done it and the the work is out there, you'll receive your royalties over time. The same with the books I've written. The next job for me, if you like, is to record the audio versions of my books, repurposing the content. There might even be video courses, online courses, a subscription channel for my unique way of teaching the guitar. There may be some other projects coming on stream in the future where I'll be focusing more on what I understand about NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Programming, and hypnosis to help people to learn faster. I've been an NLP practitioner for over 10 years and hypnosis for a similar length of time. Both of these techniques have been incredibly value, valuable to me as a teacher, as have the skills of being a certified life coach. Those skills were acquired at considerable cost. And this is my other investment strategy is investing in myself. If I'm just a guitar player who teaches, I'm a fairly low value commodity. If I'm a highly skilled, highly trained educator and communicator, I'm a much more marketable commodity. If I have high-level coaching and training skills, I'm a higher value again. So ask yourself, what can you learn that will increase your value in the marketplace? Increase your skills basis. 
improve the way you communicate your ideas. This may even lead to a second stream income. I have coaching clients now in various parts of the world, not just here in the UK, as well as the skills I've developed within property investing and acquiring properties that below their market value, the refurbishments of those properties and successful renting. This is not just second stream income. This is second, third, fourth, fifth stream income, some of these things. So think in terms of acquiring multiple streams of income. Think in terms of what can I do to make money as well as teaching face-to-face. Always, always think in terms of as well as, in addition to, or just plain old, and anything that generates cash flow in the background whilst you're working is, in effect, raising your personal hourly rate. Let's suppose you save up the money to put a deposit down on an investment property, which you rent out. Now, after all the costs, the mortgage payments and the taxes, the property provides you with a cash surplus of £250 a month. If you divide that £250 by the number of hours you've worked in the month and add that number to your hourly rate, your hourly rate's just hopped up. So let's say you teach 40 hours a week. You multiply that by 4.34, that's the number of weeks in a month, to get the hours you've worked each month. In this case, 173.6 hours per month. If I divide my £250 cash surplus from the property by 173.6 hours, it's increased my hourly rate by £1.44 an hour. Wow, that property's paying me the equivalent of an extra £1.44 an hour just because I own it. And I might even be getting some capital growth in the background. Now, let's suppose you have more than one investment property. You can double that figure for the second property. Let's say you've got five investment properties, 10 investment properties. Now add some royalties from the intellectual property you might have developed. Add to that anything else you can get paid for. Any income that you have to work just a few hours a month to earn. I think long-term and hands-off, all these low-time-demand investments. You could start with anything. It might be as simple as having Google AdSense enabled on your website. Affiliate marketing, that's selling other people's products that you don't even have to own or buy. It might be that you write your first book or your first song. Remember, at all times, that your time is your most precious resource. You must charge the most that you possibly can for your time. You really must eliminate dead spots. You must charge for cancellations. You must manage your voids. You probably should take fewer breaks. I believe you almost certainly must cut out travelling unless you're able to charge your full hourly rate for the travel plus an allowance for wear and tear and fuel. So you must reduce setup and downtime costs if you have to travel or even if you're working at home. Don't ponce around with your equipment for heaven's sake. 
A friend of mine's a professional singer who would do two or three gigs a day singing in care homes. He's an exceptionally good, trained vocalist with a massive repertoire. Now, he explained that he was getting very tired and he had more work than he could service, more demand for his singing than he could actually show up and sing for. And the first thing I did was look at his equipment. What I found was he was putting it all together, connecting one thing to the next, then the next, the next, and putting them all back into boxes at the end of the day. So during the course of a day, he'd be spending between three and four and a half hours each day setting up and taking down, down his equipment at gigs. The solution for him was that we bought a rack unit on wheels into which all of his equipment was racked and wired, which meant that his setup time at a gig went from about 40 minutes down to about four minutes. Because he literally wheeled in the rack, threw the speakers on the stands, hooked up the speaker on cables and turned everything on. That meant that he could do an extra gig a day. And by geographically stacking himself into local areas, which is the second strategy I coached him on, he was able to increase his efficiency and earn about 30% extra per week for no extra time input. Which meant that he was able to work when he was working. He wasn't doing things that didn't actually help, didn't get paid. I would say when you work, work bloody hard. Because if you work hard enough, there will always be a time at some point in the future when you don't have to work hard anymore. Do the work now. Do the work. Work hard. Focus on the long-term stuff. At some point, working will become discretionary. Remember, one way or another, you're burning time up. Think about your exit strategy. I will say again, exit strategy. It's important. If you're 30 now and your plan is just to teach, you'll still be doing exactly the same thing when you're 60 unless you think about the long term and you build the future that you want. 60 will come around, my friend, I promise you. So I guess that's all I've got to say now about time. You would probably be a good idea to go back to episode 13 and just listen to that episode about pricing because there's a ton of other stuff that connects directly with this episode. Remember, guys, time is your most precious resource. You can never get an extra minute's worth of time. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. When your time's up, your time's up. So make the most of the time you've got now. Think about how you want to spend your working day and how many more working days you want. Think about the long-term story of where your life is going. Your time is precious. And if you're pissing it away doing things that don't matter, you really are not doing yourself any favours. Trust me on this one, guys. Optimise your time. 
charge as much as you can for the time you spend hour, hour on hour face to face with people. You'll never have enough time. So make the most of what you do have. So I guess that's it for today. That's my 10 cents worth. Let me know if any of that resonated with you. What caught your ears? And tell me how you get on. Because I'd love to hear from you guys. So in our next episode, we're going to be talking about testimonials. How to get them and how to use them to boost your business. So, for everything you need to start, grow and love your tutoring business, join me, Neil Camero, for the next episode of the Tutor Podcast. Have a fabulous day. Get in touch with the Tutor Podcast via email or social media and the Tutor Podcast team will be listening. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically get the latest episode directly sent to your device. And remember to share, rate and review TTP so that we can help other people to start, grow and love their tutoring businesses.